710 ESPN presents The Experience with Lafern Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Lafern Cusack. Lafern Cusack. The Los Angeles County Department of Parks and Recreation maintains 181 parks. Local parks have playgrounds, organized sports, special programs and classes. Well, today we're specifically talking about the Irvin Magic Johnson Park. This 104-acre recreation area, named after Basketball Hall of Famer Irvin Magic Johnson, is ideal for outdoor activities such as festivals, and large sports activities. The focal point on the park are the beautiful fishing lakes, open green space, and a popular walking path. So if you need to get outside, get some activity in, get your walk in, the Irvin Magic Johnson Park is the place to be. Today I'm speaking with Paul Murdoch, as well as Wendy Chan. Paul Murdoch is founder and president of Paul Murdoch Architects bringing over 30 years of experience in the design and management of a wide variety of building projects. Wendy Chan is Senior Landscape Architect at AHBE-MIG. Wendy is about placemaking and reimagining public spaces for the people who are connected to a site or neighborhood. We're talking all about the Urban Magic Johnson Park. Located at 905 East El Segundo Boulevard, or log on to parks.lacounty.gov for more information. The experience never stops. Never stops. On your station, 710 ESPN. Here's Lafern Cusack. I'm excited to have Paul Murdoch and Wendy Chan here on the show talking all about the Irvin Magic Johnson Park. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hi, LaFern. Thanks for having us. Paul, tell us about your journey into becoming an architect. Oh, boy. Long time ago. (laughs) When I was a kid, I used to love to to build things, and uh, I was always drawing, and... uh, so those two things came together, and and uh, I also used to like like organizing uh, different uh, excursions and explorations with my friends. So uh, I, you know, never quite saw that leading to architecture per se, but you know, working with groups of people uh, on all of our projects, it's ended up being <laughs> another thing that helped prepare me to be an architect. Um, but uh, you know, I was fortunate to be able to. Uh, do a lot of things as a kid in the in the outdoors, and uh, uh, always like creating things. Uh, so, you know, it, it all just came together uh, and led to architecture. After I started uh, designing, you know, uh, things that included buildings, and um, so I went to architecture school uh, back east, um, where I grew up, and um, then I traveled a year. Saw a lot of architecture, uh, you know, with my backpack, and uh, um, I ended up settling here in Los Angeles to get my master's degree at UCLA, and uh, st- 
date ever since. Um, L.A. in the early 80s, uh, when I came here, was probably the most interesting place for architecture anywhere I had seen in, in the world. So, Oh, yeah? Um, in what way? In yeah, what aspect? Yeah. Well, um, you know, L.A. is is known as a as a kind of a laboratory um, for city making. And even though it has a rep for being a certain kind of city, um, designers, urban designers, planners, architects, landscape architects, um, you know, have had the freedom to try things here um, and uh, experiment with uh, design solutions and development solutions to uh, to urban challenges. And so it made for, um, you know, a very exciting environment and uh, a very creative group of people trying to uh, address, you know, big changes, big changes in cities. So, uh, you know, that, that was definitely happening in, in the early 80s with, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of creative folks. So um, it was a very exciting place to be and you know, things have changed in 30 years, but uh, 30 to 40 years, yes. but uh, we still have a lot of challenges and we still need a lot of creative solutions. Well, thank you for that. And Wendy, tell us about your journey into being a landscape architect. Um, well, I wish I could say that I wanted to be a landscape architect since I was a child, but I actually didn't <laughs> learn about the profession mm-hmm. <laughs> until I was in college, but it all... Once I start learning about learning and practicing landscape architecture, it seemed to um, make sense because I, I grew up in Los Angeles in a neighborhood called Lincoln Heights, um, and then we I lived as an apartment for pretty much all my life, um, and then the, the really the only access to the natural environment I had was like to my local park, which was Lincoln Park, and seeing the LA River um, being channelized. Um, but those were like kind of my only thoughts of nature. And then I realized the importance of that connection to nature as like, essentially it was like my backyard where I learned how to ride my bike at the park. Um, I fed the dogs. I had um, picnics with my parents there. So it seemed like it was faded that I, that I practiced monitored architecture and, continue to create these outdoor environments for the community. Yes, and you guys have created something really wonderful in our community, the Urban Magic Johnson Park. Paul, tell us how you came on board to create such a fantastic park in our community. When I started the, the firm about 30 years ago, I, I was doing a lot of um, work in sustainable design and it was a fairly uh, relatively unknown thing at the time but I I met Calvin Abe uh, through some advocacy work that we were doing with the city and um, Calvin is the uh, founder of Abe Landscape Architects. It's now the LA office of of MIG Abe. So we've known each other a long time and we've done things you know over the years together especially with a sustainability focus and um, so it was uh, you know, Abe MIG that had this uh, had had been involved in the master plan of the park, and um, when the you know this phase of work uh, called for a, a new community center, 
we were invited to uh, to come in and talk to the county about our qualifications for that. So that's how we got first involved. And, you know, we, we've done um, a number of projects around L.A. that, um, you know, I think the county saw as, as qualifying. So um, our relationship with, uh, with Calvin and his group and Wendy and, and uh, and then, you know, showing the sort of community work that we've done uh, is, is how we got involved. Well, great. So can you guys talk about how you responded to the community's needs for this park, Wendy? Um, well, we started the, well, initially we started the master plan phase in 2014. And we went through a series of community engagement and community meetings to kind of get a better understanding of what the community envisions for this park, what kind of programming elements they want to see at the park, and what is their primary use. Uh, if you go to the park today, you'll see that the primary use is really walking and jogging. Um, you'll see people walking and jogging in all hours of the day, like nighttime, even the early morning. So we, so the community kind of gave us what they wanted to see in the park and what they envisioned for themselves. They, I mean, what was truly kind of missing in the community of Willowbrook was kind of the center a center, a community center where um, kids can have after-school programs, classes, and also just a place to have community events like weddings or family events as well. And Paul, you were the main designer for the community center, is that correct? That's right, yeah. So what did you bring to that design? Well, it, it um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the fact that this is uh, not just a park building, um, but also a community center in the sense that um, there there wasn't this kind of activity center in Willowbrook. And so it has a, a certain civic purpose as well as, you know, just uh, being in the park itself. And so that kind of social center and activity center, you know, we, we wanted a certain stature for the building at the same time you know, that it felt right in the park. Um, and um, I think, you know, the, the the big surprise for us when we first visited the park was, you know, these two lakes. Um, not only was there a lot of open space, but uh, there were these two beautiful bodies of water there. And um, so... Uh, you know, there were different discussions about what to do with the lakes, but, you know, it became apparent to us um, in designing the community center that really, uh, we, you know, we just wanted to stretch the building along the water edge and uh, just to be able to, you know, have all the spaces in the building be able to take advantage of the views of the lake, uh, especially as it was going to be restored. And um, and then, you know, be able to have activity that goes um, in and out of the building. Um, there's open spaces, uh, you know, like courtyards and seating and terraces with trees and whatnot between the building and the lake as well as um, in front of the building. So, you know, it's very much around trying to take advantage of, you know, one of the main and most unique uh features of the park which is the lake itself Mm -hmm. 
And Wendy, I know you're talking about this started in 2014, but there was a lot of things that you guys had to do prior to even breaking ground, which uh, can you talk about the history of the area and what you guys had to do to make it sustainable? Um, well, actually, the park in the 1920s up to like the 1960s was um, a farm oil, oil tank farm. It was called the Athens Oil Tank Farm, which now is ExxonMobil. Um, and then that park, that land was actually, after the oil tank was removed, it was given to the county in the 70s, 80s, and it became um, Willowbrook Park. And then um, later on, it was renamed to Urban Magic Johnson Park. Um, and there was also a housing community called Eugenia Village just right adjacent to the park. It was a, um, a county housing development. And at that time, it became known that there was methane and contaminated soil, uh, contaminated uh, hydrocarbons in the soil. So actually, the housing community was um, removed at that time um, because of the contaminated soil situation. So actually, ExxonMobil along with their partners have been continually remediating the soil and um, burning off methane from the site um, for a number of years, and they're continuing to do so. So the site is completely cleaned. You put in a pump so the water is being recycled and reused. Is that correct? Or yeah. tell me about that process. Yeah, exactly. So actually, when we were going through the design process, we saw these two lakes, and we were thinking, how can we kind of incorporate these two lakes that are being fed um, with potable water, essentially, and how they can be sustainably designed and integrated into community? And we actually, uh, this, it was kind of like these, all these things kind of came together, and public, uh, the public works, the county of public works was actually looking for. Um, a site where they can also, um, they're kind of tasked with treating the stormwater before it hits into the ocean, essentially Compton Creek, which is a tributary to Alley River that eventually goes into the ocean. Um, so they looked at this site, um, which is Magic Johnson's part of um, this watershed that's 375 acres. Um, and what we're essentially doing is we're... Um, Diverting the storm water, so intercepting the storm drain, an 84-inch storm drain on El Segundo. We're diverting that water into a pump house, and that pump house has a system where it moves all the urban trash that's in the storm water. Um, we're capturing all the dry and wet water flows, so dry water flows being like um, people washing their cars and not running off into the storm drain. Um, or irrigation from the front lawns running off in the storm drain and wet weather flows are um, during a storm event. Um, so all that water is being diverted into that pump house, remove all the trash, and then that water is then pumped into a treatment facility. And that it goes through a series of processes, including natural processes to uh, remove all the heavy pollutants, metals, um, in, and oils that are in the stormwater. And that stormwater is then um, diverted into these natural wetlands that we created around the one of the lakes. And that natural wetland through the plant material kind of further polishes and cleans the water and also provides a habitat for all the bird and herbal wildlife that you see in the park today. Um, but that water essentially is stored in both lakes, the north and the south lake, and that water is then used to irrigate the entire park. So it's almost like a closed system. 
from the end results, you get kind of the two lakes that are no longer being fed with potable water. Um, and the park landscape that's irrigated with this clean and treated stormwater, so you're reducing your um, potable water use. And then the stormwater that is clean from all the heavy pollutants before releasing to Compton Creek, which eventually goes to Ella River and then to the ocean. Wow. And, and there's a marsh as well, right? Yeah, we create these, um, what we call the wetlands. Um, you'll see around the southern lake. Um, it surrounds the southern lake, and the water actually gets discharged into these wetlands, and that wetlands are the cleans, the stormwater. But, and also provides an amenity for the, for the community where you have that connection to the natural ecology and systems and the habitats. <laughs> wow. So this is a, a really extreme, complex project. I don't have an architect's mind or you know, or a designer's mind. So how did you guys work together to implement such a huge project, including, you know, addressing like the public policy issues of today? Paul? Well, I, I think... Um you know, part part of the team is uh, you know some some really good engineers <laughs> that, right. that, that aren't on, on the show, right? The so we, we have to tip our hat, yeah, to uh, water engineering. And but you know, it's important to to also acknowledge that, as Wendy said, you know, Public Works came in looking for a project like this because there's you know the the voters uh, approved measure w among other uh you know funding measures to be able to do projects to um really uh restore or regenerate bodies of water like these lakes and be able to conserve water cuz it is such a precious resource here in southern california so the policy and and Funding helped bring this together, as well as the, you know, the engineering that does some of the heavy lifting, you know, when the water comes in and has to be treated. And then, as Wendy said, you know, once once that's done and, and then we have this, you know, ability to build a biohabitat at the lake, which rest- helps restore the water itself and create this whole uh, much more diverse uh, natural environment than what was there before. So, you know, the county is saving a lot of money by not having to use potable water, uh, which is very expensive to irrigate a lot of grass. And um, so the landscape um, ends up being, you know, a part of the infrastructure, you know, as an extension of the of the engineering and the stormwater management of the whole of the whole neighborhood around the park. You know, the, this is an example of something that, you know, we've seen different communities wanting to do for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on a team invited uh, to submit a design for Constitution Gardens uh, um, in the National Mall. And there's a similar uh, lake there with a concrete basin, and it's pretty much a dead body of water, uh, worse worse than what was at Willowbrook there. Mm. Um, and the proposal, not just in our scheme, but others, uh, was to do the very thing that that Wendy and uh, the Abe MIG team did, um, which is really to recreate the edge of the lake so that there's uh, natural planting um, and wetlands um, that can, you know, regenerate uh, uh the, the whole uh, experience along the edge of the lake. 
there's a walking trail around the lake so you can get up close and see all of this and experience it. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's a beautiful environment. So it's, it has a utility in, in treating the water, but it's also uh, creating a beautiful amenity for everybody to enjoy every day in the park. And we, you know, in terms of the architecture, we're, we're just wanting to uh, place the building um, and, and, you know, have it transparent enough to be able to see all of this and experience it close hand, you know, so there's a complementary relationship between the building and, and the landscape and, and what all this infrastructure is doing for the park. Yeah, I'm in North Hollywood. I'm, there's some places around, but it just doesn't have the feel that what you guys created. You know, when I was reading about it and looking at the pictures, I was like, oh, that feels like me growing up. <laughs> it's uh, tr- mm-hmm. truly beautiful. Yeah. So, Wendy, when you look at a piece of land or a place, can do you envision in your mind what it could be? Yeah, I think what um, I think we kind of talked about as collaborating as a team on with Paul creating that vision of what what um, the community needs through like community engagement process, but also providing that connection to nature and um, providing new habitat, essentially restoring what the habitat that used to be there was um, before um, development. Right. There's new birds that are coming in, too, that that found that area. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually was walking on along the park, and then I met a bird watcher that he said he's been coming to the park for over 20 years. Wow. And he's been bird watching. If you go to this uh, the website called eBirds, it's um, where bird watchers can log in various bird species they spot around the park. So he was seeing like the new wetlands on the um, California native shrub material that's around the the walking trail around the lake has created new different type of habitats and various new birds that come. Like we, if you go to the site, let's say we go to a park like in the evening, right before sunset, mm-hmm. you'll see um, a night herring, like a pair of night herrings oh, wow. along the lake. Um, they come almost every day. I've seen them every day. And then in the afternoons, you can see like egrets and like great herons as well. And then you'll see a new kind of new bird called the black net stilts. But they're they're very distinct. They almost they have really long legs and black and white um, feathers. Mm. But they like the kind of the shallow water that is creating the wetland. So that's like a new um, a new bird species that have shown up. Oh wow, that is so park. cool. Yeah. And I went to the eBird. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up for the eBird. <laughs> so a lot of positive feedback has come out about what you guys developed. You know, someone said, um, honestly, this looks like one of the best parks in L.A. Paul, uh, how does that make you feel? That's why we do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great to hear. I mean, you know, the, like Wendy yeah. said, uh, this was a really well-used park before, uh, but but there were only certain, really, just a fairly select types of uses that it could be done there, right? A lot of walking and all day and night. Mm-hmm. Um, but but now, um, you know, that people are able to uh, not only continue to use this night and day, but also use it in so many different ways, 
uh, and and enjoy it uh, that much more is is why we do this. I mean, it's it's really trying to provide um, uh, something for the community. It's trying to restore the land and the water, uh, so it's a healthy environment for people uh, to enjoy and benefit from, and um, so. It's it's really gratifying uh, to hear that you know uh, people are using it and having that kind of reaction. I I think you know this this has the potential to be a, a transformative park, not just for Willowbrook, but I really do think that you know things that we've done here need to be done elsewhere, um, not just because of such a water shortage. Um, Right. that we have here in California, but, but also, you know, our open spaces are so precious in our, our urban environments. And, you know, we need to get a lot more out of them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think, you know, we, if we talk about this as a 21st century park and, and a model for that, what, what, you know, one of the things that, that I take from that that I think it means is that, you know, that we can't just have uh, a, a, you know, a place uh, that has a more single purpose, that we have to really layer different um, activities and uses um, and treatments of that open space so that there really is open for a diversity of people, a diversity of uses, and we try to get the most out of that open space as we can um, in a beneficial way because, you know, we don't have a lot of communities just don't have a lot of parkland. So right. um, we, need, we need to try to get the most that we can out of it for people. Right. Absolutely. And you talk about water and, you know, of course, we're, L.A., California, we're always in a drought somehow. Have you get guys ever thought of, you know, Wendy, what you were talking about, the water filtration system that you guys built for um, Urban Magic Johnson Park, how we in L.A. or California can have like an underground water system that does exactly what you do at the park? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like what Paul said, is this, this is a transformative park where it can become a model for other parks that have a similar um Lake, a man-made lake, for example, um, like I was just sharing, the park that I grew up with called Lincoln Park, which is also a man-made lake. And then now with technology these days, you kind of have the system of treating the stormwater more locally within right. the park itself. Right. Um, instead of, you know, building this giant stormwater treatment, but you're able to take something existing and re-transform it and change it into something more sustainable. And that was easily done with, you know, a smaller footprint. I mean, if you look at the, if you go to the park right now, the pump station really is only very small. It's only 40 feet wide. Um, And it houses all the pumps and all the treatment for us. So everything kind of miniaturized now where you can kind of do these localized stormwater treatment systems and being able to do a dual use and and having that amenity as well for the residents and the community. How much in the future do you think that will be a reality? Like, No, I think what maybe Paul was saying that it is a reality that you'll see these kind of systems in like Silver Lake Reservoir and Echo Park as well 
where they're treating the stormwater through kind of natural methods as well. I think one of the reasons that it's a transformative park is is because it 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 has established that benchmark. I mean, we're we're now in a phase of uh, or a time period where we can do this. And as Wendy said, the technologies now, uh, you know, for the pumping and the filtration and whatnot can be localized to the park. They don't have to be big, high capital cost central, uh, you know, uh, treatment plants. Um, they can be smaller in the park. The softer technologies, uh, like the landscape planting that, that Wendy's described for this, you know, the polishing of the water and biohabitats, there's, there's more understood about those uh, processes and, and uh, how they work, how the biology works uh, for the water as well as the plants. Um, so, you know, that, that's why I was like going back to that National Mall experience. That was back in, you know, 2012. So, you know, communities have been looking at how to do this for a while. And I think a lot of things are now coming together to make this possible. This is still not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because of things like Measure W, um, you know, that funding is making this uh, possible. Um, and and I think the county uh, Department of Public Works, you know, has scores of projects, um, not necessarily all as ambitious as, as Urban Magic Johnson Park, but um, you know, they have a pipeline of projects, no pun intended, um, to to really, um, you know, put that bond money to use and, and really uh, start, uh, you know, treating our water resources much more carefully. And I just have to mention that the F- this effort was led by former supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas, who worked on the draft and also, you know, the funding for this, which was what what over a eighty three million dollars to renovate, what an accomplishment! <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a it's another uh, reason why I think this is transformative. I mean, he's his leadership in Willowbrook is uh, has been uh, you know uh, really noteworthy, and and uh, you know whether it's the park or or the new you know, uh, Metro Station or the Martin Luther King. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's been a lot of need in the community. Um, and through his leadership, uh, there's been a lot of resources brought to bear there. So um, it's, um, you know, it's a great legacy um, for, for his leadership, I think. Mm-hmm. I Have you guys heard about the parks that are going to go over the 101? Something yeah, in like Hollywood. That. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a, I don't know uh, some of the more recent developments, but I, I've heard about it uh, several years ago in the attempt to, to try to span uh, the freeway and create a park. And mm-hmm. there's some nice precedents for that around the country, too. Um, Dallas is you know, more recently, last five years, I think, or so, they've they've done a great park downtown, just like that. Um, so, yeah, not just uh, not just doing what we can with our existing parks, but also looking for opportunities to create new parks. Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of layering um, of uses that 
you know, we're, we're, we're going to create more, more diversity of activity. Um, you know, whether it's existing or, or we find a new opportunity. Yes. And Wendy, what about you? What's in the future for you in regards to design and sustainability in our environment? Um, I think for us, I mean, we looked at this kind of what we have been talking about that is kind of a model for a 21st century urban park and trying to implement and think about this vision and these sustainability methods in other parks around other future urban parks or other new parks and uh, renovation of existing parks as well. Um, I'm also working on um, a new pocket park actually in in Chinatown, which has um, been great just because I grew up in that neighborhood. Um, and it's been nice to kind of see a vacant um, hillside being transformed into a park for the community as well. You called it a pocket and that park? A, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a pocket park because it's only a little bit less than one acre. Oh. Um, and it's tucked away behind the Chinatown Library. Um, but it uses a different type of um, sustainability element where it captures all the stormwater that's localized in the site itself. Um, and then is stored into a, a cistern that's underneath the plaza or the community plaza. And that water is used to irrigate the entire park as wow. well. And Paul, I know you talked about how L.A., you love the architecture of L.A. Where do you see the architecture going in regards to, I guess, I'm, I'm going to say this wrong because I'm not architect, but in, re- in regards to style? Yeah, I mean, for us, I think, well, overall in L.A., I think you've probably heard a lot about, you know, how we deal, how, how we have to deal with more density. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because, uh you know we're we're so sprawled out, and how do we how do we even get around the city anymore? Um, so, I think there's a big need for housing, affordable housing. Uh, we've got a, a huge homeless problem, um, and it's also an affordability problem. So these are all like really pressing issues. You know, transportation, housing, et cetera. But for us, I think you know our focus is on. Uh, uh, you know, among all of that is is really, uh, you know, focusing on community um, uh, uh, community assets that you know that are that are trying to strengthen community cohesion. Um, and 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 you know, one of our projects is for um, a health district where they're they're building housing to maintain their their preventative health care programs and uh, offer public programs and open space activity back to the community. That That's the kind of sort of mixed-use development that combines, uh, you know, different public amenities to help create a stronger community that, that we like to do, we want to do, and we see a real need for. Um, you know, I think L.A. used to be a lot of different small communities and you know they all grew together through you know rapid development and sprawl and and yet those communities are still latent around LA and I think um, we need to find ways to make them stronger again and intensify the, the community identity of each of those places so that um, you know our city's less anonymous and and less um, accessible, 
uh, for everybody, but it, it has these uh, these community centers that that uh, really help anchor people's lives and, and enrich their lives. So yes, that's that's what we see a need to do here, and that's that's the kind of project we like to do, just like Magic Johnson Project. Now, one more thing before I let you go. Now, uh, Paul, I know you were commissioned for the Flight 93 Memorial, and it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Can you talk about that? Oh, uh, I could talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I could talk about that a long time. (laughs) Yeah, we've been involved in the project for 16 years now, and... um, most of the park, uh, this this is back in Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 crashed um, on on 9/11, and um, so it's a it's a new national park. It's the first uh, new national park of the 21st century, um, and it's a memorial to the 40 people on that plane that that fought the uh, terrorist attack, and so. It's been, um, you know, an extraordinary project to have uh, designed and, and been involved with, and um, it um, interestingly has, you know, some parallels to the Willowbrook project because, um, you know, that that project is very much about healing, mm-hmm. and um, the site was. Uh, predominantly a coal mine. Um, so, uh, you know, it wasn't an active coal mine at the time, but a, a, a reclaimed coal mine. And and then um, all of a sudden, you know, it has to become a national park uh, where visitors can come. So it's very much about, you know, uh, restoring the land and, uh, you know, regenerating the soil, regenerating the water. I mean, the acid mine drainage has to be treated uh, until it's, you know, healthy enough to go back into the, the water system, the regional water system. So, um, you know, there are all of these environmental uh, measures that had to be taken to help heal the land. And, uh, that's very much, you know, a metaphor for what the memorial is about, which is to help heal after this tragedy and, uh, you know, have come, have people come uh, to, you know, learn about what happened that day, but also um, to pay their respects and to appreciate, um, you know, what, what sacrifice uh, these 40 people made. So, um you know, in a similar sense, Willowbrook is, is, is healing a brownfield site. It's, you know, a site that has had a, an industrial past um, and turning it into a public amenity uh, for the community. And uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very um, rewarding, gratifying project in that sense as well. Um, to see people uh, being able to, uh, you know, get something very uh, meaningful and positive out of the experience. 
And what stands out to you the most about the process and the result of this, you know, beautiful design? You have 40 chimes in your design. Yeah, it's a very large site. It's, you know, 2,200 acres, which is about two and a half times the size of Central Park in New York, just to get a, an idea of the scale. Mm. So um, we we couldn't develop the entire park, so we focused our memorial features on certain areas. And uh, one of the features is near the entrance to the park, which is a, a tower. So you have a kind of a landmark uh, from the highway as you come in. And um, it has 40 wind chimes. Um, the site usually has uh, wind. It's, it's a fairly exposed site. And one of the things we wanted to do uh, was a memorial in sound um, uh, because a lot of the last contact with people on the plane were through their voices. Uh, we we call this the Tower of Voices, and uh, there's a chime for each of the 40 uh, passengers and crew members, and uh, it's, it's all activated by the wind. Um, so it's ever-changing, and always uh, working with the natural systems of the site. And uh, that's the kind of thing we tried to bring together in different memorial features throughout the park. Uh, that's that's the latest feature that we've built. And, uh, Beautiful. Um, yeah. I read an article where you have following in the footsteps of downtown L.A.'s past and its beautiful design on the sidewalks and crosswalks and all of that. If you were talking to someone who would like to, you know, tell them how they can be like you and be inspired to create something beautiful, what would you say to them? Um, I think it's, I don't know, that's a really difficult question, actually, when I think about it. But I think you just, I mean, it kind of sounds cliche, but you kind of think about, I mean, what, what, what you're passionate about and what you want to do for the community and what you want to do for the environment. And if you feel, and see if this profession is what you're looking towards, creating these outdoor inclusive environments that bring the community and that connection to nature yes. and that access to nature. I mean, I can imagine being like you guys and just creating something, and then there it is, and it's right in front of you. And you're like, yep, I created that. <laughs> I created this magnificent park, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's a big deal. So I want to thank you both so much. Well, thank you. No, thank you very much yeah, for and, having us. And, Paul, what, what would you say... Uh, to someone who would like to follow in your s footsteps and be an architect? Well, um, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I benefited uh, a lot from traveling. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's full of lessons for any designer, um, anybody that wants to experience different cultures, different communities, but, uh, you know, for an architect, it's invaluable to just go see um, architecture um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and things that you, you know, you just have to experience firsthand. Um, and um, and the, the, the part of that is not just seeing the building, but 
it's also seeing the context for the building. And oftentimes, you know, like studying architecture, they'll, you know, they may focus on the building itself, but you really don't quite understand the, the history, the culture, you know, the overall context in which that was created, um, but also how it continues to live, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I think, something important uh, to recognize, uh, you know, that especially for these public places that we're trying to create is that they will continue to evolve as people use them. And they continue, hopefully, to get more, more valuable that way. Um, you know, that the community uh, kind of intensifies the value and the usage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see how a design um, has let that happen, has encouraged that to happen, and continues to evolve with that, I think, is is also something I would, you know, encourage every designer to uh, to appreciate and to try to understand, because mm-hmm. that's that's will help that will help it make it sustainable, um, you know, in a in a much broader sense. Yes, that's beautiful. I never thought of it like that. It's like you build something, but it grows, and you have to think about, well, how will it grow? You know, a lot of people are really precious with their work and saying, oh, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. But without that growth, I don't think there's any progress. That's right. It, 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 it means you want to you design a vitality um, by understanding the place. You, you, you bring that vitality into the design. And if that's there, then that's the life of the project that can continue to live and evolve. Mm-hmm. And that that's what's really of value to the community. Um, and I think, you know, if it, that's, that's what we strive for in our projects. I think if, if I would encourage young designers to, to try to learn something, it would be that. Because um, you know, that's, that's of great value. Yes. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on, sharing your talent and sharing the Urban Magic Johnson Park with us. Uh, Wendy, where can we find out more about what you're doing uh, with your company and get in touch with you? Um, you can definitely go to our website, which is MIG.com, as well. And then we also have... Um, what we call um, All Bay Lab, which is like a, where our um, staff members kind of write exploratory ideas and what we are thinking and what we're thinking of for other natural environments and for the community as well. Fantastic. And Paul, uh, what about you? I know you're going to be celebrating your 30-year anniversary. Are you going to have a huge park party and invite everyone? Yeah, I <laughs> I, I hope to walk outside and take my mask off for at least five minutes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I, we'll, we'll try to find a good open space, and I, I have one in mind, actually. Oh, good. We've, yeah, we've been talking about it. Um, yeah, I, 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 hope, uh, I hope we have a, a nice celebration, and 
I think, um, you know, like like Wendy, uh, for for uh, anybody who's interested in contacting us, we have a website that is paulmurdockarchitects.com, and uh, Murdoch is with a C-H. Awesome. Paul Murdoch, architect and owner of Paul Murdoch Architects, and Wendy Chan, senior landscape architect of A-H-B-E and M-I-G. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, I am Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on 710 ESPN.